All right. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Man, it's good to be back at Heart of the Bay. My wife, Lisa's here with me uh, on, uh, I don't remember what day it was, and we celebrated 35 years together. Yeah. 35 years. Oh, I know it's June 2nd. I just don't, I, on the numbers, what is today, the 4th? It would have been Monday. Monday? Monday we celebrated 35 years together. Don't ever forget, men, when your anniversary is. Don't ever forget. And uh, so, seriously, we, we absolutely love and appreciate your pastors, Mark and Brenda, and the whole leadership team here. Don't you think you guys have great pastors here? Give them a hand. And when I called Pastor Mark today from the airport, he said, uh, Brenda has been baking cookies. And uh, so I knew the Lord was taking a good liking to me. And uh, I told them, I said, I could preach better if I had a couple cookies before service tonight. So uh, cookies make me happy. So uh, anyway, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we want to thank you for our fellowship together. Lord, we thank you that we're a family. Lord, we've been bought with a price. Lord, you paid such a phenomenal price for us. The precious blood of Jesus. And, and because of that, we know that we have value in your eyes. Lord, you look beyond our faults. You look beyond our sin. You look beyond our problems. And you saw people that you loved. And Lord, we thank you that when we were at our absolute worst, Jesus gave us his absolute best. Shed his blood for us. Rose from the dead for us. And is alive today as our champion as our Lord and as our King. And Father, tonight we just thank you that we can gather in this oasis of your presence. And we thank you that we can partake of your spirit, enjoy your presence, and partake of your word. And Father, we believe that you're going to speak to our hearts and you're going to change and transform our lives tonight and strengthen us and, and send us out of this place better and stronger and more whole than the way in which we came in. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, it is such a joy to be with you. I want to talk to you tonight. If there was a title for tonight, it would be The Now and the Not Yet. The Now. How many of you know we're dealing with the now? Um, You can't avoid dealing with the now. Some people talk about, you know, the sweet by and by. And how many of you are thankful for heaven in the future? But how many of you know we have to deal with the rotten here and now for the meantime? And I want to talk about the now and the not yet. And I want to talk about the connection between this temporal world in which we live and the eternal world which kind of surrounds it. I want to talk about um, the, the current realities of life and the spiritual, uh, eternal realities of the kingdom of God. Uh, One of my favorite movies, and I hope you don't think I'm too unspiritual for saying this, but I like the movie Gladiator. I I see some men getting excited about that. Strength and honor. You know, that movie really had some good values in it. And um, one of the statements I like is when General Maximus makes the statement... Uh, you know, he's wanting his men to understand that what they're doing is important. And he tells his men, what we do in life echoes in eternity. 
What we do in life echoes in eternity. And I want you to know there is a, there is a, a vital connection between the, the, the present and the eternal. There really is. And I don't think we should see that, you know, here we are in this earthly temporal realm and then we've got the Grand Canyon and on the other side of that great canyon or chasm, then we have eternity. I think we'd be amazed if we could really see how how intermingled the here and the now is with the eternal. Um, You know, every time we have a loved one breathe their last breath and, you know, we say, well, they're stepping into eternity and and it's not that far away. It's really not. And um, I believe what Maximus said is true, that what we do in life echoes in eternity. But you know what else I believe? I think that what God has done in his realm, what God has done in the spiritual realm or what we might call the eternal realm, I believe that it should echo in us in the here and the now. I don't, I don't just see this as, you know, well, we're, here we are here and now and someday off in yonder future we're going to be in heaven and enjoy eternity and things like that. God lives in the realm of eternity. God lives in that spiritual eternal realm that in reality is all around us. And, and what He has done for us in Christ should be echoing through and reverberating through our lives, how we live our daily life, how we think, how we relate to one another, uh, our plans, our purposes, our pursuits, all of it should be affected. Everything that we do in the here and now should be somewhat influenced by our perception and our awareness of eternity. I like what um, Billy Graham said. He was talking about heaven. And he said, heaven doesn't make this life less important. It makes it more important. And C.S. Lewis, one of the great thinkers of the last century, said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. He said, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. When we have, you see, see some people, you, you hear it said, and, and, and maybe you've known somebody like this, we've heard it said that, well, so-and-so is so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. And, you know, I'm sure there have been some folks like that. But, you know, the reality, there's way more people who are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. And, And I don't know anywhere where Jesus said, choose ye this day. Whether you're going to be mindful of the earth or mindful of heavenly things. I think that that when we are aware of the presence and the anointing of God and we're aware of the eternal things of God, I don't think it makes us less effective in this earth. I think it sharpens our focus and it defines our purpose. It means now that we have eternal uh, ramifications to consider to everything that we do in the here and in the now. I want you to look in your Bibles at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. What does the Bible say about the now and the not yet? 
What does the Bible say about the time in which we live and yet also the eternal that surrounds us? 1 Timothy 4.8 says, For bodily exercise profits a little. And Brother Hagin always used to say, and I don't know that he was given to a whole lot of bodily exercise, uh, but Brother Hagin would always say, well, get, get the little profit that's there. Bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness, everybody say godliness. But godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that now is. Say, the life that now is. And of that which is to come. Say, that which is to come. See, godliness, when you apply yourself to faith in God, when you apply yourself to your relationship with God, it has promise. Another translation says, it has benefits in this life, the life that now is, and the life that is to come. I'll tell you what, when you enter into a serious relationship with God, He doesn't just get you ready for heaven, but He prepares you to be effective on this earth. Godliness is profitable in all things. One person said this, he said, He who provides for this life, but takes no care for eternity, is wise for a moment, but a fool forever. And you know, we see people every day that just their 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 vision is limited to this earthly realm they they don't perceive the significance and the reality of eternity and people who just give a hundred percent of their energy to prospering now and you know taking care of business in this life but but they take no thought for eternity this gentleman said they are wise for a moment but a fool forever because we need to be diligent about this life and the life that is to come and if you compare the two eternity is a whole lot longer than whatever period of time we have left in this this mortal body now, 1 John chapter 3, we're going to look at a whole bunch of scriptures tonight because I just want you to be mindful tonight of how strong and significant uh, our focus should be on godliness having profitability and benefits in the life that now is and the life that is to come. See, he didn't say choose one or the other. We get to have God's plan for the moment and for eternity. In 1 John 3, 2... It says, Beloved, now, everybody say now. Yeah. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. Did you notice there's the now and the not yet here? Now we are the children of God. How many of you can say, I'm not all that I shall be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be? And we can also say this, God loves me just the way I am. But he loves me too much to let me stay this way. 
We are the children of God right now. We have been born again. Our spirit man has been made new. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. But how many of you have come to the realization that there's still a lot of mind renewal going on? And there's a lot of flesh management. You know, that's just a nice way of saying crucify the flesh. How, How many of you still have to put your body under? I'll think about that after I eat some more cookies tonight. I'll put my body under later. No, maybe I'd better... See, I'm preaching myself under conviction now. So let me quit meddling here. But, but here's the truth. Here's the truth. You and I have passed from darkness into light. Now we are the children of God. But there is a greater transformation yet to come. You know, we can progressively grow in the, in the knowledge of God and experience transformation as our mind is renewed more and more. That's why we need to stay in the Word. That's why we need to stay in godly relationships. That's why we need to stay in church and keep ourselves in the atmosphere of corporate worship and under the anointing of the preached Word of God and fellowship. You know, sometimes iron sharpens iron. And we need that fellowship and all that. But I'll tell you what, there's coming a day when there's going to be an ultimate transformation. When this mortal shall put on immortality, and this corruptible shall put on incorruption. So I'm going to tell you real quickly tonight four things that we need to know about the now and the not yet. Number one, we need to know this. We are in this world, but we are not of it. We are in this world, but we are not of it. John chapter 17, Jesus prayed something really powerful. You know, there there are temptations for believers to be worldly. Worldly in their thought processes, worldly in their negativities, worldly in their fears, worldly in their uh, focus. And God's called us to be different. We're in this world, but we're not of it. John 17 Verse 15, Jesus said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Now, you know, every once in a while people get this idea, well, the world's real evil. I'm going to go live in a cave somewhere. Well, Jesus said, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Now, let me just say it this way. Jesus did not pray that we would be isolated but that we would be insulated. Do you catch the difference? He said, I don't pray that you would just take them out of the world. See, the Christian, and please understand when I say this, I'm not against the rapture. I say, come Lord Jesus. But I'll tell you what, we shouldn't be praying for the rapture because we are so defeated. We just, we want an escape hatch. We just want to, you know, we we're, we're an, have an escapist mentality. 
You want to know who should be praying for the rapture of the church? The devil should be praying for the rapture of the church because the church is powerful and, and, and defeating him and, and demonstrating the, the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ over him. Uh, you know, of course, we're excited about whenever Jesus returns and catches us away. But I'll tell you what, the only person that might be more excited about that than us should be the devil because we've created such havoc in his kingdom because we're not just defensively we're not hiding in a cave but but we are engaged in conquests of victory getting people born again getting people delivered from the power of darkness establishing people in righteousness man when we get raptured out of here uh, he should have the greatest day of rejoicing uh, you know that he had since he crucified Jesus and that didn't last long Jesus said, I don't pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They, meaning his disciples, us, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Uh, sanctify them, set them apart, cleanse them through your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. God's not trying to get you out of this place. God's trying to get you into this place. But delivered from the evil that's in the world and insulated and sanctified by His power. So we're in the world, but we're not of it. Well, listen, while we're in the world, let's make the most of it. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, again, dealing with our identity, who we are and what our position is and what our focus is. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, while we do not look at the things which are seen. How many of you know how easy it is to get focused on all the worldly junk? All the negative news in the world, all the negative prognostications, all the the negative forecasts, all the negative reports and things of that nature, death, destruction all around. Paul said, we don't look at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. Can I tell you this? You are going to outlive your problems. Whatever your problem, you are going to outlive them. The things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I'll tell you, if we are children of God, we are not children of this world. We're in the world, but we're not of it. We need to be able to see heavenly things. We need to be able to see with the eye of faith who our Father is, what our Father is doing, what is God's plan for our life, what is His purpose. I'll tell you, if we see who Jesus is, and we see the things of the Father clearly. How many of you grew up in, a, in an old-time church where they sang this beautiful song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? You remember that? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace, what are you looking at tonight? You're in this world, but you're not of it. We're not to look at the things which are seen. Now, that doesn't mean we're oblivious and we don't know what's going on around us. We know. It's just that we're focused on something different. 
Our gaze is fixed upon something more eternal, more weighty. And, and Philippians 3.20, we're talking about the fact that uh, we're in the world, but we're not of it. Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to understand, we're in this world, but we're not of it. Let's get our, our mentality right. Let's get our focus right. Number two, we need to understand that for the believer... Number two, the best is yet to come. If you think, well, things are just getting worse and worse, the world's getting darker and darker, you know, there's all these problems. Do you know there's always been problems in the world? You know what you need to remember in times like these? In times like these, you need to remember there have always been times like these. You pick, go, go grab a newspaper from the 1970s or the 1940s or the, you know, 1910s. And, and they were talking doom and gloom back then. They were talking all the same problems back then. Uh, for the believer, the best is yet to come. Amen. Now, the Bible says that, you know, concerning the last days, that evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. I'm not trying to paint some unrealistic picture. I'm not even telling you that the world is going to get better and better. I'm not telling you that at all. Uh, The Bible says in the last days there will be perilous times. But we have something to look forward to that the world doesn't have to look forward to. We have a blessed hope. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 19, Paul makes a very interesting statement. He says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable or miserable. Now remember who was writing this. Paul was writing this and he was continually being beaten up, thrown in jail, shipwrecked, whipped, betrayed, I mean, he went through so many, he went through abuses and persecutions that we can't even begin to imagine. And so you understand, he says, if, if, if this life is all there is to it, and what he was doing here, this whole chapter, he's making an argument for the resurrection. And he's saying, in, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. And what he's doing is he is comparing Uh, this life to the next. Now, personally, and I realize I live in a country where Christians aren't, you know, overtly, you know, beaten and thrown in jail like it was in Paul's day. But I'll tell you what, Jesus has made my earthly life better. And then the contrast is that the resurrected life, the the life of the glorified body, our life in heaven with God is going to be so much more glorious than this life. The best is really yet to come. But but you're going to have to find, if you're going to have ultimate joy, one thing you need to know, you're not going to get it from this world. This world is not the source of your joy. This world is not the source of your peace. Listen, this world is not the source of your security and your faith. 
Listen, we have a spiritual umbilical cord and we are connected to God and He is where our hope comes from. He is where our strength comes from. He is where our courage comes from. We're not looking to this world for our peace and our solace. I like what Max Lucado said. He said, lower your expectations of earth. He said, this isn't heaven, so don't expect it to be. And listen, everybody goes through, like Pastor Mark said, everybody goes through some trials and adversities in life. I remember the first time I heard Brother Hagen, I was a little, you know, I say a little kid, I was 20 years old and, and uh, totally inexperienced in life. And I heard Brother Hagen, the man of great faith, make the statement, the crises of life come to us all. And I thought, oh, Brother Hagen, I thought you were a man of faith. I was so disappointed, I was so disillusioned that he would make such a negative statement. That the trials of life, because I just knew at that wise age of 20, I just knew that if I believed God and trusted God, I would be able to avoid all problems of life. You know, sometimes you just need to put a few years under your belt. Find out maybe some of these folks who've been down the road a little further than us actually know some things that, you know, we didn't really know or appreciate or understand. But... Um, I like what one person said, because we all do face problems. And thank God there are some times where, where God is able to just absolutely comfort us and, and give us peace in the midst of horrific situations. But you know, there are some situations too where this old statement has some help for us, and that is, earth has no sorrows that heaven cannot heal. Earth has no sorrows that heaven cannot heal. The best, what are we saying? We're saying the best is yet to come. 1 Corinthians 13, 9 says, For we know in part. How many of you are thankful for what you know? Man, I'm so thankful for what I know about Jesus, for what I know about God, for what I know about the Word. But you know what? We know in part. I, I don't know everything yet. We don't know it all yet, but thank God for what we know. We know in part, and we prophesy in part. But, verse 10, 1 Corinthians 13, 10, But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Look at verse 12. For now, for now. What are we talking about tonight? The now and the not yet. The now and... And the not yet. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now, everybody say now. Now Now abide faith, hope, and love. That's not bad, is it? But it's even going to get better than that. Now we know in part. I'll tell you what we know is awesome. What we know is wonderful. But it's going to get better. When, When the partial is done away, that which is fully come, we'll know just as we have been known by God. Number three. We are to seek things above. We are to seek things above. 
1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. I'll tell you what, you know, God wants us to be good managers of what we have here below. But I found if you seek God above, the things below with His blessing will go far better than if you just focus totally on things on this earth. He says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above. Not on things on the... Do you know when you set your mind on things above, there is an infusion of wisdom that comes into your life. And you'll be able to deal with the practical affairs of life far better if you spend some time seeking the things above. Because when you do that, God will impart wisdom to you and then you'll be able to manage earthly things even better. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then, then, see, the now and the not yet, then you will also appear with Him in glory. And then there's a powerful verse about where our focus should be in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John the second chapter and the 15th verse, 1 John 2:15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and, and John lists the three motivating factors for all sinful behavior, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You know, I'm in no way, shape, or form am I uh, trying to get anybody under condemnation. We don't want to be under condemnation. But, you know, sometimes it's good to just, you know, kind of do a checkup from the neck up. It's good to do an inventory. The Bible says, examine yourself. And sometimes it's good just to kind of do an inventory of where are my desires? Uh, what, What is my focus? What are my pursuits uh, geared toward? And find out how much of our desires and yearnings are related to the things of God. And um, here John says, All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you go back to the Garden of, of Eden, when Satan tempted Eve, She saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh. Pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. And a tree desired to make one wise, the pride of life. If you go back and study the temptation of Jesus when Satan tempted him, it's, it's the same. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. How much of our motivation is actually carnally based coming through those avenues? Now, I didn't come here tonight to teach on tithing, but I'm just amazed sometimes the way some Christians approach the the topic of tithing. And it's just like they're determined to prove that we don't have to tithe. 
And I'm thinking, you know what? Let's just, let's just lay this thing out in the scope of eternity. Will, will it be positive eternally if, if Christians all gave 10% of their income to God? Would that be beneficial to eternity or would that be a hindrance? No, that will benefit eternity. And, you know, when, when Christians give generously to their churches and that type of thing, they're helping the, the gospel go forth, you know, way more strongly. They're helping missions be supported. So to me, I just think, well, what's going to be better eternally if we tithe or if we don't tithe? And, and to me, that's kind of the end of the discussion. It, it's going to be better eternally if we give tremendously and not even just set 10% as a max but set 10% as a starting point and then don't try to find arguments for how much you don't have to give try to find every basis and reason for how much you can give do it for eternity don't do it out of bondage or condemnation joyfully but I'll tell you what when you when you really I, I think perceive eternal get the big eternal picture and realize you know there's people going to hell all over this earth missionaries are are having trouble staying on the the mission field because you know churches finances are sometimes down I'm just mean churches in general and then Christians are trying to say well we don't I don't think we have to tie that you know well, what's the eternal picture the eternal picture is that we've been called to get the gospel into all the world. You know, we think it's great that we have a better covenant based upon better promises. So if they gave 10% under an inferior covenant, then we should be looking to do more than they did uh, because we have a better covenant and we have a gospel that will save the souls of men. So he goes on to say, all that is in the world, verse 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. It really is, isn't it? The world is passing away. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. What are we laying up for eternity? What are the good works that we're laying up for eternity? Because the Bible says that, that uh, blessed are those who die in the Lord and their works will follow them. I, to me, that's exciting. Makes me want to work for God. Invest in eternity with my works, with my giving with the way I live, with the way I treat other people. You know, and see, Jesus said this, if you even give one of these little ones a cup of cold water, you will not lose your reward. Man, everything that we do out of love to glorify God and to bless other people, man, it's just registering up rewards in heaven. And... Um, Having an eternal perspective, I think, is very, very important. Number four, and this is our final point tonight, uh, we are to influence the here and the now. We are here to be light. We are here to be salt. 
I like what, you know, when Jesus prayed, and I think maybe we've done a disservice sometimes in kind of the charismatic circles, and especially because some people came out of backgrounds where, you know, the Lord's Prayer was prayed very ritualistically, and many people, you know, maybe did it just by rote, and they didn't really put their heart into it. So when they got spirit-filled and that type of thing, they, oh, that's just old tradition and things like that. Well, it's a prayer that Jesus taught, you know. And um, if nothing else, there, there's a pattern and there's a model in that prayer. There are principles in that prayer that are just glorious. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, listen to what Jesus told us to pray. Talking to the Father, we are to say, Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Now, if we really mean that, then that means we'd better be making room for His kingdom. One person said this, We probably shouldn't pray, Your kingdom come, until we have prayed, My kingdom go. Because if I want to be the Lord of my own life and I want to call all the shots and I want to be large and in charge, you know, how can I pray your kingdom come if I'm not willing to let my kingdom go? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, I believe this is not just something we are to pray. This is something we are to incarnate. I think this is something that, you know, we're not just praying this about, you know, your kingdom coming out here and there and everywhere. What about letting this start with your kingdom coming here and your will being done here on earth as it is in heaven? See, we have been called to be transformed from the inside out. We're not just called to do works on the outside. We're called to be transformed from the inside out. We are here to have an influence in the here and the now. Now, I want to look at Luke chapter 19, verses 12 and 13, but but I want to look at this in the New Living Translation. Uh, Jesus said, A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Well, we pretty much can see in the metaphor here that this could certainly apply to Jesus ascending into heaven where he was seated at the right hand of God and uh, he's crowned king in heaven and there is going to come a time when he's going to return, right? And before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver saying, invest this for me while I am gone. The King James here says, occupy till I come. See, we're here, we are here occupying until Jesus comes. We are here investing His riches in the earth. We've been given the gift of eternal life. We've been given the peace of God. We've been given the name of Jesus. We've been given the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We are partakers and we are recipients of of the riches of God. And while He's gone, we're here to occupy until He comes. We are here to invest all of these things for Him 
while he is gone. We're here to influence the earth. What does 2 Corinthians 5.20 say? It says we are ambassadors for Christ. Listen, we are here representing heaven on planet earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're in the world, but we're not of it. Now we are the children of God. We have an ambassadorship. You are heaven's representative here on the earth. Uh, Philippians 2.15, this is going to be our final scripture, Philippians 2.15, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. What are we talking about tonight? We're talking about the now and the not yet. Now we are the children of God. And it doesn't fully, we don't fully comprehend how glorious we're going to be in the future. But when we see Him, we'll be like Him. Isn't that awesome? But in the meantime, here's what we need to know for the right now. We're in the world, but we're not of it. The best for us is yet to come. We don't have to be singing any sad songs. We don't have to be moaning the terrible conditions of the world. See, the Bible says the path of the righteous is like that of the morning sun. It grows brighter and brighter until the full day. The world may be fainting and, and, and uh, passing out, you know, emotionally drained and all that because they see the things that are coming upon the, the earth. But Jesus said when you see them fainting for fear of looking after those things which are coming on the earth. He said, you look up. Look up. Because your redemption draws nigh. The best for us is yet to come. And we are to seek things above. That's where our focus, our energies and efforts are to be on heavenly things. And we are to influence the here and the now. The way that we influence the here and the now primarily is by letting Him influence us in the here and the now. And the more we allow His kingdom to come into us, then we say like Peter to to the world and to even believers that are in need, we say, such as I have, give I thee. Such as I have, give I thee. We are salt, we are light, we are here to influence the world. C.S. Lewis, let me just read his quote in closing. He said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. Believers kept their eyes on Jesus. They didn't look at the things which were seen, but they kept looking. They kept looking. In Hebrews 11, it talks about the saints of old. And it says they they were looking for a city that was yet to come. They were looking for a heavenly city. And that's what what empowered them in their journey. C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Let's be mindful of heaven. Let's be mindful of the realm of God because that's where our citizenship is. We're in this world, but we're not of it. 
Let's stand up. Let's stand up. Let's spend a few minutes in prayer here. Just lift your hands to heaven. Father, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that we have our roots in you. We are rooted and we are grounded in the eternal life and nature of God. We are your very own children and you are our very own Father. And Lord, we want to thank you right now. We want to thank you right now for your peace and your presence because even as we stand here worshiping you, honoring you, and reverencing you, Father, we want to thank you that heaven is invading earth right now. We want to thank you that your presence and your power and your glory are just moving amongst your people right now. And Father, I want to thank you for what you're doing, for what you're saying in the lives of your people. Brother.